Welcome to episode 54 of the Mountainland Running Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Heiderscheidt from the University of Wisconsin Sports Medicine. And here is my famous co-host, Mountainland Physical Therapy Therapist, Jeremy Stoker. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. How you been? Great. Thanks. It's, uh, it's a new year. It's exciting. Fun times ahead. Nothing but candy and sunshine from here on out. That's what I keep saying. <laughs> That's exactly right. And we've got some candy today with a, a nice new format, a little bit of change up, but excited about the podcast today. It's going to be a lot of fun to hear from a lot of different um, experts to kind of help dialogue on this. Absolutely. I agree. And we're going to, we decided to do something new for our first two podcasts for 2021. And this is going to be a, a panel discussion on a couple of uh, topics that need a lot more attention than what they've been getting over the years. And so to do that, we brought in an international crew, uh, a couple from the United States and a couple from, from over the pond, as they like to say. So uh, we're going to be introducing them shortly and getting into a conversation on pregnancy and post-pregnancy for the athlete in particular for runners yeah it's going to be awesome yeah uh, did your did you uh, work with your wife at all during her pregnancies in regard to running um a little bit here and there we sometimes would just hold off um during that uh for different reasons but uh maybe we can get some insight and, and see you know maybe if that was the right choice or not yeah, admitted, admittedly, that that actually was what got my me interested to be, uh, way back when, when my wife was pregnant with our first. Uh, that's watching that uh, process and her struggle with maintaining running and and running all the way through, including the day she delivered. Uh, that was uh, <laughs> some interest. And then and then watching her struggle to get back to where she wanted that that uh, uh, that was quite in a process and something that I wanted to learn about as much as possible and realize there's not a lot there in terms well, of information together and that's why i'm really excited about today's podcast yeah for sure and i think as you hit on even it's it's during but even that recovery and, and you know that's when these women want this new life and they're trying to restart again and get back into it and and they're ready to you know they've had these changes to their body and then how do we get back when do we get back how much do we push and it's so it's good it's it's going to be exciting to talk a little bit about this so yeah glad we got everyone here what's that <laughs> We're glad we got everyone here. This will be great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm looking forward to it as well. So without any further delay, let's jump into it. Let's introduce our fantastic international panel. So first up, in no particular order, uh, we've got Rita Deering. Dr. Deering is a physical therapist and assistant professor at Carroll University in Wisconsin, USA. She has extensive clinical experience in women's health, including exercise during pregnancy and treatment of pelvic floor, abdominal, and lumbopelvic dysfunction. Dr. Deering's research focuses on neuromuscular muscular function in postpartum women. With emphasis on the abdominal muscles, she completed a postdoc fellowship, advanced fellowship in women's health, during which she examined the impact of physical therapy on running mechanics in women up to two years postpartum. All right, next up, Shafali Christopher. Dr. Christopher is a physical therapist and assistant professor at Elan University in the Department of Physical Therapy. She started treating runners 12 years ago because no one else wanted to deal with the triathletes and runners and slowly built the caseload of only endurance athletes. That's typically the way it goes, I think. <laughs> she currently practices in the Elan Runs Clinic and the Athletic Training Room teaches Elan DPT students, and is the director of the Elan Sports PT residency program. She is pursuing a PhD from the University of Newcastle in Australia and is researching pain in postpartum runners. Welcome, Shafali. 
Thank you All for right, having next me. up, uh, an individual who's a, a, an old veteran of our podcast format, Tom Goom. Tom is a physiotherapist and clinical lead at the Physio Rooms in England. He is a keen runner and creator of runningphysio.com. His work has gained a worldwide audience and been featured in the British Journal Sports Medicine, Runner's World, and Men's Running UK. And of course, in JOSPT, I can't forget to, of course, include that hamstring article in there. Tom remains an active clinician and believes in the importance of translating research findings into effective treatments for our patients. All right. Next up, Grania Donnelly is an advanced physiotherapist and team lead for pelvic health physiotherapy, researcher and teacher in pelvic health physiotherapy. She is on the specialist advisory board for the Active Pregnancy Foundation and an associate member of Canterbury Christchurch University's perinatal physical activity research group. And finally, last but not certainly not least, Emma Brockwell is a specialist women's health physiotherapist. She specializes in enabling women back to exercise, particularly running if they have had any pelvic health dysfunction or are postnatal. She has co-authored the first Returning to Running Postnatal Guideline and has written for many magazines, including Women's Running and Women's Health Magazine, and has a book out in February 2021 called Why Did No One Tell Me? How to Heal, Protect, and Nurture Your Body Through Motherhood. She is on the advisory board for the Active Pregnancy Foundation and is an associate member to the Perinatal Physical Activity Research Group. She set up and led the Women's Health Department at London Bridge Hospital, but now works in Surrey and Body Logic health in london okay thanks everybody for being here today we're gonna uh, wrap up the podcast now <laughs> that was a long introduction but it was one that was really important because i think it's incredible for our listeners to be able to hear what the, you guys have accomplished and done uh this is fantastic and we are honored to have all of you on here for our podcast today Thank you for having us oh, and for, for giving us a platform to talk about this because the conversation is very important. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're, you know, we have all of you on at the same time. So we're going to have all mics are active and there's probably going to be a little, little, you know, uh, 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 vying for who speaks when, but we're going to try to keep this as informal as possible and conversational as possible. So no, don't worry about uh, trying to jump in and, and, uh, uh, and cut off anybody. We'll, we'll keep it professional, but we'll certainly want to make sure everybody's voices are heard. All right. So how should we get started? Maybe just uh, pregnancy and running. Let's see. How did you guys get interested in this? <laughs> I can talk about the cliche experience where, you know, I was a triathlete and runner and uh, I had a, I got pregnant and was uh, I just an Ironman the year before and I was trying to keep healthy and fit. I was really nervous about running during uh, being pregnant. And when I tried to look into, you know, what resources were out there, just like any physical therapist would, there were not very many. Um, I think, uh, thankfully, a lot more information has come about in the last 10 years on, you know, some guidelines with uh, pregnancy and running. But uh, yeah, I was, I remember standing on the sidelines of a football game and feeling like my pelvis was going to fall apart because I'd done a run earlier that day. And not knowing what to do next, like, should I keep running or should I not? I even trained through a half marathon, actually, and had to stop at mile five of that actual half marathon because I started having contractures. So, um, contractions, sorry. So, you know, um, all of those things led me to, to uh, start looking into how do we improve this for our women out there? 
Is that is that fairly true for for most? That is one of those where it was it was personal experience that first got you interested in it. And Tom, obviously not maybe not personal experience, <laughs> but through your wife or other individuals, you may have may have had that connection. Yeah, Rita. So I actually got into this field um, before I got pregnant. I, as a physical therapist, I was teaching an exercise class for pregnant women. And I just, I fielded a lot of questions from them and I didn't have a lot of experience with, obviously I hadn't been pregnant before, so I didn't have any personal experience with it. And I was working in outpatient orthopedics at the time. Um, and so a lot of their questions, I had to give them the I don't know, but I'll find out for you answer. Um, and I did a lot of digging and, um, you know, like Shafali said, I was shocked by how little actual evidence there was. Um, and so that's actually what spurred me to go back for my PhD and research, um, you know, pregnancy and postpartum uh, neuromuscular function, because we don't have a lot of information on it. Um, and we, and in order to treat these women appropriately, we need to have better um, evidence-based guidelines and and um, information out there. Emma, did you have something to add? Yeah, I mean, I was. I'm not dissimilar to uh, to Shafali and Rita in that I have had children and uh, love absolutely love running. I unfortunately was very unwell during my pregnancy, so I was unable to run. Um, but my issues came about postnatally when I wanted to return to running. And it's truth be told, I returned too soon. Um, I was a musculoskeletal physio at the time and unaware of what impact pregnancy and childbirth have on our bodies um, to the extent I now know. And unfortunately suffered some pelvic floor dysfunction and suddenly started talking to other friends who were experiencing similar things to me and just realizing at that time eight years ago how ridiculous it was that women not only didn't have the right answers but there was lots of conflicting information as well and it was my passion was born out of pure frustration um, that, that we were all undergoing and asking similar questions but just not able to find not only the right answer, but evidence-based answers, because there just is so little evidence behind this whole topic, um, yeah. unfortunately. Well, maybe let's get into some of that evidence, or, or maybe I, it's a, that was a poor assumption to say that it's evidence. But what what would you say are the current guidelines right now for running during pregnancy? Let's let's table the the post pregnancy for a follow up podcast. But for for now, let's just stay with pregnancy and running. What are the current guidelines? Well, we have the Canadian um, exercise and pregnancy guidelines which are not specific to running in itself and cover exercise but again there's there are several different um countries around the world that have uh, over the years they have tended to be quite cautionary i would say i'm interested to hear what other people think um, and i think there's a lot more that needs to be investigated in this population so that we can more comprehensively advise and not always fall on the default cautionary approach yeah Shafali. yeah i would agree uh with Kanye, uh because um you know it was pretty cautionary and now they're at least encouraging movement so they're, they're saying, you know, 30 minutes a day, 150 minutes a week. Um, if you haven't been exercising, you can start. So the message is overall very positive for movement, but that's probably where it starts and ends. They, we, we don't have studies done in athletes to tell us what intensity is okay. You know, sh uh, and, and I think 
physios, OBs, everybody out there is just going individualizing that treatment and and monitoring, watching, you know, our high-level athletes. We've had a lot come through the Alicia Montana's, you know, Kara Goucher, Steph Rothstein. They're all they've all been very open about their pregnancies and their postpartum recovery, but we don't have literature in that group telling us how far did they run? How how intensely did they run? Did that have any effect on the fetus? So we know the basic, you should move and it's good to move. But after that, it's up in the air. Hey, Tom. Yep. Yeah, I, I would say um, um, broadly, even with running injury, that there's still huge, huge gaps, particularly in um, in how we should train and how we should progress training and how we can return to training after a break um i was doing some you know some research into this recently and i found that there's there's virtually nothing out there that's say compared to different programs in terms of building up running you know you might have one or two studies but you'd, you'd think really that there would be more studies even outside of um you know of, of during pregnancy and post-pregnancy just just generally there'd be more studies but there really aren't so i think even broadly this is an area where there's a big a big gap in the evidence in terms of how to guide us to get people to run or to get people to return to running after a break. Um, as far as actual like evidence-based um, metrics, we have we do have some for intensity of exercise of, of what we know is safe um, for mom and for the fetus. Um, so there have been studies that have shown that um, the fetus is not at all compromised um, in at intensities under 90% of VO2 max. Um, so um, really that tends to only apply to elite athletes because I would say that most of our recreational runners have not had a VO2 max test done. Uh, so they don't know what 90% of their max is. Um, but um, there are some heart rate guidelines as well, and they do vary depending on um, what source you're looking at. Um, but uh, typically um, between weeks 16 and 20 of gestation is what the, um, these guidelines were based from. So these were actual research studies of women between 16 and 20 weeks of pregnancy. Um, and between ages 20 and 29, uh, they shoot for a target heart rate of 145 to 160 beats per minute. And ages 30 to 39, target heart rate of 140 to 156 beats per minute. Um, a lot of the um, research out there on exercise and pregnancy recommends using RPE instead of heart rate. Um, however, in elite athletes, it has been shown that um, RPE will underestimate heart rate. And so uh, if they're getting into those higher um, RPE ratings, their heart rate is likely above their um, recommended range. And so it, with elite athletes, they really should have some sort of heart rate monitor so that they can um, assess their heart rate while they are exercising. Emma. Yeah, I think the problem we have as well is that the guidelines that do exist are only really uh, can you, you can only relate to them if you have a low risk pregnancy um if you have more of a moderate risk or high risk pregnancy then really the guidance out there is really don't just don't do anything um almost to the point where they're suggesting for some women that they adopt bed rest and when we consider all the benefits of exercise during pregnancy that's a real blanket statements to make um there's a great paper recently i think last year by um May and uh, Margie Davenport, uh, which started to look at absolute contraindications and relative contraindications and really consider, are these contraindications 
sufficient enough to be saying we shouldn't be exercising and their, their paper really looked through some of the, the the absolute contraindications and started to consider whether some of them should be relative contraindications which would then mean that women with the help of their healthcare provider could be looking to exercise more than perhaps they're being advised at the moment and I think that's where we really need some more clarity is for all those women in those other brackets, moderate and, and high risk pregnancies, uh, we need to be doing more for them and getting better research for the, that particular population who are pregnant. Yeah, yeah, to build on what Emma's saying there, um, Emma and I are actually fortunate to be involved in some research with Dr. Izzy Moore at the minute from Cardiff University here in the UK. And we looked at um, factors influencing a woman's likelihood to continue running during pregnancy and to run following pregnancy. And one of the things that is really flagging up in both populations is fear of movement. And that's where our guidelines and current guidance is failing us because women and their healthcare providers are unsure how to competently and confidently guide all women depending on their situation and therefore that creates a huge issue of fear and where we have fear of movement women stop or limit exercising and we know that this is detrimental because physical activity is so important for the mom and the baby's well-being so this needs to change and we need to progress past this. Rita. Yeah, I think so kind of incorporating what Grania and Emma just said, and even kind of hearkening back to something that Chapali had said earlier too, um, it seems like a lot of um, a lot of pregnant women on their own decrease their running load. Um, and there was a study done in, I believe, 2018, um, where they used the Park Run app to recruit women and they did a, a survey um, and they found that most of the women uh, either stopped running completely uh, during their pregnancy or significantly decreased their um, their mileage and their their running load on their own. Um, but the like Shafali was saying, there is this emphasis now on um, prioritizing movement and, and encouraging exercise. And even um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recently came out and um, and said that the bed rest recommendations for higher risk pregnancies um, are, are shown to be detrimental. So there is still, there's this evolution happening in um, pregnancy care that is highlighting, you know, like Rania and Emma just said, the importance of physical activity. And um, we still don't have good evidence-based guidelines on what the compromise is, um, what level of activity is appropriate or safe, but we, we are at least acknowledging that cutting out activity altogether um, doesn't necessarily improve outcomes um, and, and that it is safe to have some level of activity. Hey, Shapali. Yeah, so I think that now we're struggling with, okay, these women are exercising and are asking questions like, okay, so I'm running, you know, like Rita mentioned the intensity thing, or, you know, I'm having this pain. What do I do? How do I continue? And that was my personal experience. My uh, OB was like, yeah, go ahead. You're training for a half marathon. Enjoy. And then when I hit any issues, they didn't have answers. And, and that I think is the next step in, okay, we're encouraging all this movement, but what happens, what is, what, how, how do we move? And, and, and how do we help those that are, have a hitting barriers to that movement? 
Well, and I, you know, I would I would guess that a lot of the guidelines that you've discussed so far, really, you know, when they first began emerging, were targeting toward the fetus health and making sure that 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 was, and then of course keeping the mother healthy as well. But musculoskeletal health was probably lower on that priority list of what factors were being considered in terms of those recommendations. No one cares about the mom, Brian. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it seems that's to be the case sometimes, <laughs> yeah. especially when they become teenagers. <laughs> Rita. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that completely. And, um, you know, in the paper that, um, you know, Yusha Fali and I put out in JOSPT last year, it was focusing more on postpartum, but we talked about this interdisciplinary treatment model. And I think that that needs to occur during pregnancy too. Um, and and for that exact reason, I mean, the, the obstetricians, um, their primary um, focus and their primary training is on maternal fetal health from a, um, you know, multi-systems approach, but not necessarily musculoskeletal. Uh, and that's where physiotherapists come in or physical therapists. Um, and I really think that we could be a valuable asset um, in OB practice um, so that we can answer those kinds of questions or we can um, monitor their activity and make modifications and see how that helps. Um, and even, um, you know, again, ACOG in 2020 reissued their um, guidelines for exercise during pregnancy. And they said exercise should be supervised when it's feasible. Um, and, and again, I think we are the perfect profession to help with that, um, and I know at least here in the states, many um, many states have direct access. So even if your obstetrician doesn't partner with a physical therapist, um, if your state is a direct access access state, you can go to a PT without um, a referral uh, and and be seen for those types of issues. So if you know if the pregnant woman is running and is having problems, um, you know, she can seek help for those problems. There are things that we can do during pregnancy to address those musculoskeletal issues. You don't have to wait until the baby is born, you know, or suffer through um, pain or dysfunction. Tom, did you have something? No, I was just, I was wondering really, um, you know, Shufali, with what you ex experienced, like obviously now with what you, you, you know, now, you know, how, how might you have advised yourself? Like what changes could you, could you have made during that training for the half marathon? Cause I, it's really interesting to think like, what, what can we suggest to people in that situation mm -hmm. that they, they can change? Yeah. So, um, I actually did reach out to some of my, uh, women health trained friends. And so I got a, uh, you know, a, a, an SI band. And so that helped for a little bit of it. But now that I think back, you know, could, you know, maybe some positioning exercise of, has helped move the baby in a way that I could have maybe run a little bit longer without contractions because of how, you know, he was sitting or um, could I have done shorter workouts at a higher intensity while training? I just didn't know that much back then. You know, my plan said go run five miles and at, you know, three, I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. So just like thinking about the variables, thinking about just rethinking the training itself. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we got some pushback on the, um, on the viewpoint on like access to healthcare, right? Like to have a team around you is expensive, but I think we figured it out in some of the other nuances. Like I, when I was a student, I was in lung transplant rehab, there's group therapy. You know, if you go to your OB appointment and there's a group therapy atmosphere where you do your postpartum exercises, you, you speak with a PT, 
or you know, or something like we could we could do this. We could have that team behind behind the uh, the athlete. So um, those are some things that I would change if I could go back. You know, have that team built in uh, to reduce you know to have the help reduce the costs and also think about my training differently just because I was a different uh, human. <laughs> so. so so it's kind of like adapt rather than avoid wherever possible absolutely yeah adjust it to see you know and this is one of the things i like about working with athletes is that there's actually quite a lot we can adjust isn't there when mm-hmm. you know how how you know what the training volume is what the training intensity is the frequency you know can you replace some with some more tolerated cross training can you look at you know boosting recovery strategies and sleep you know i think i think there's a lot that we can change rather than the going to what you know what was mentioned before like well let's rush to to avoidance let's rush to bed rest when we're actually maybe we could try to adapt first i think i think it's about listening to your body as well though and i do think a lot of athletes if they're for example leaking urine during their pregnancy and whilst running a lot of women will just accept that as part of the norm oh well i'm pregnant i'm pretty sure my friend was leaking when she was running and she she didn't really you know seem to see it as an issue um and and so we do see the extreme of those athletes and and recreational runners who just poo-poo their pelvic health and just consider it's part of what should be happening or will happen during pregnancy and it's then where where we come in and educate women and healthcare professionals and fitness professionals who don't necessarily work with this population and advise on on maybe when it's time to pull back on the running as 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 well So just related to that, is there a point where you would recommend stopping running altogether? I think this is a really individual uh, decision to make because we've seen, um, Shefeli mentioned some of the high performance athletes that we that have pr- made or proved the point that they can continue running right through. And w- then we have other women who must pull back quite early on in pregnancy. During the CSM debate that's upcoming, um, where Emma, Shefeli, Rita, and I were involved in, we talked a lot about low tolerance of tissues and the work of Tim Gabbett. And I think that really that clinical reasoning model can be applied to this population too and considering all that and considering the low tolerance of the tissues which are undergoing progressive change during pregnancy I think we can modify and adapt as Tom's already mentioned that's going through the pelvic region like incline um, running or incline high-paced walking can make such a difference to decrease the ground reaction force going through that area and we've had other athletes I know Emma has been working with high performance athletes too and we may have had to switch them to activities that look and feel a little bit like running but are not running like the Stairmaster or I'm not sure what the name of that is but the treadmill that's basically steps where you still get a nice lower limb workout but you're not quite getting the same amount of impact which I think is key. So then related to tolerance of tissue or, or what their their capacity is, you know, we're talking a lot about adopting or if rather adapting the the, uh, the running training side of it. What about recommendations on the, the tissue tolerance side, uh, exercises, resistance training, uh, uh, strategies to help promote recruitment of different muscles? Do you have recommendations for individuals to begin doing that before issues uh, arise? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it is, it still blows my mind that you only really think about 
doing your pelvic floor exercises when you're pregnant. Um, and it's the time, I guess, where we as pelvic health physios get excited because we think, well, at least someone's going to pay attention to this area, hopefully. Um, but in an ideal world, uh, this is what, what we're all really um, passionate about, really, is, is educating women and men, really, about their pelvic health and their pelvic floor exercises, because there are so many benefits to doing those slightly mundane exercises. Um, and, and that's where I would start, first of all, is, is getting onto your pelvic floor and, and doing some work on that. Um, and that would be the main focus initially when I met someone is teaching them how to do it correctly um, and, and obviously working out what load their pelvic floor can take at that point in time of seeing them. So I would start there as that being my primary muscle. Um, I don't know about you guys, what, what else you focus on? Well, as you know, as a sports physio, I do focus on that probably not as much, but um, not as much as should. But also, this is such a different time than any runner has faced. I mean, think about the weight gain aspect. So as this athlete is, get, you know, um, going through the weeks of pregnancy, their weight is increasing. So load tolerance, tissue absorber, everything is, is being turned topsy turvy. And so, you know, cross training, being aware of that load change, like Grania suggested, you know, maybe changing the mode and all of that. This is a very different experience than any runner would ever go through because of that aspect. Um, you know, the center of gravity is changing. All of those physiological and uh, musculoskeletal changes have to be adapted for. And so the individualized approach, you know, changing the, you know, thinking about load modulation, thinking about being staying strong as the hormones uh, laxity go through the body. All of those are the factors that are needed in treating this population. Hey, Rita. Yeah, I think um, there a lot of times is an emphasis on um, strength training, which is great and it's absolutely necessary. Um, but I think something that we need to make sure we don't overlook in this population is stretching as well. Um, so sometimes with um, pelvic health, particularly with um, like urge incontinence that it can be associated with trigger points in the adductor muscles. And so when those adductor muscles get really tight, um, that can um, influence some uh, bladder symptoms. And then also um, there have been some studies, um, I think I mentioned already the 2018 study um, through the Park Run app, but uh, they found that women who continue to run during their pregnancy were more likely to have um, an instrumented vaginal delivery. So they needed either forceps or, or vacuum um, during delivery. And, and I think sometimes there's this um, propensity to say that it's because their pelvic floor is stronger because they're runners. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think you can have weak muscles that are tight. Um, and so focusing on some stretching too, making sure that that tissue is not only strong, but it's also extensible so that it can stretch for, for childbirth and minimize trauma to that muscle is really important as well. Yeah, Tom. Um, I think as well, when, when we think about like capacity, like tissues ability to manage load, you know, the obvious thing we think of is, is strength and conditioning because we, we think that can improve its capacity. But I think there are some um, maybe more um, or less obvious things that, that seem to have evidence that they can directly affect the tissues load capacity. So things like stress, um, there's evidence that stress 
delays uh, healing and it impairs our response to cardiovascular and strength-based exercise um, and sleep and lack, lack of sleep and recovery. And I think obviously is as the pregnancy progresses, there's there's going to be a balancing act as well between the amount of exercise you can do and, and fatigue levels. And the more that we bring in, the more that we potentially have the, the you know, we may be increasing fatigue levels a lot. And of course, that then has a knock-on effect um, for capacity too. So I, th- I think there's a, there's a sort of a delicate balancing act in there. Of, you know, can, can we ensure we get wherever possible as much sleep, as much, as much emotional recovery as possible, enough recovery generally for the physical and emotional emotional demands and and just being a little bit wary about not layering too many things in um i think it's about working with people to find the priority isn't it that what are the key things for that person to work on at each at each stage well, that's great and I, I can't believe it but we're already at the 30 minute mark on this podcast it feels like we're just <laughs> scratching the surface <laughs> and getting things going so i want to be respectful of of your time and and uh obviously you have a lot of other things to do and uh but i want to make sure that we each have a chance to maybe to provide any closing comments yeah for our listeners anything you want to do say to kind of wrap up or summarize your point yeah Grania. I just want to throw in that the unique thing about this population is that we generally don't have a baseline in terms of pelvic health for this population because who goes and gets their pelvic floor checked or checks that they're doing, know how to do pelvic floor exercises adequately and prior to getting pregnancy protected pregnant for that first time. And I think this is something that needs to change because if we think of sports and high performance athletes, we usually have the baseline to compare for when they then get an injury that we're looking to get them back to. And I think it'd be really beneficial for women to adequately and properly know how to do pelvic floor exercises prior to getting pregnant, because I'm sure any of the pelvic health physiotherapists here present will agree with me when they say they've all met about 50% of our patients who come through the door tell us they know how to do pelvic floor exercises or kegels. And when you go and assess them, they actually don't. So it's a hugely under understood area. And the only way that I can liken it to for anyone listening is that for our MSK and sports uh, practitioners here, if you're showing someone an exercise and you demonstrate it in front of them, several times perhaps where they can visually see you doing it and then you ask them to repeat it perhaps in front of a mirror usually they still get it wrong so now we expect women to recruit an area of muscle that they've no idea what it even looks like (laughs) no idea what it does and so and no idea how to verify they're doing it so i think this is a huge issue Mm -hmm. great point anybody else yeah, I just like to again reiterate that you know pain is not normal. Um, pelvic floor dysfunction is not normal, and you don't have to suffer through it. So if you are a pregnant runner and you're having these issues and it's interfering with your ability to run, there are people out there that can help with that, and it's okay to ask for help. Excellent. And Rita summarized that perfectly. That they don't have to be alone through this and they can ask, just need to find the right provider. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, everybody. This was fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to our next podcast, which will be running post-pregnancy and how the issues that now we've got, obviously, a whole lot of changes and how to be successful and make sure the runner uh, can get back to where they want to be. So thank you very much for joining us today. Very much appreciate your time. And it's been a fantastic conversation. I wish we had a couple more hours to devote to the topic. 
Uh, but luckily, you all have fantastic resources uh, that will be listed in your bios that our, our, uh, our listeners can take a look at uh, online and identify with in terms of your books, your websites, all the fantastic literature you're producing that will hopefully advance this, this field uh, and provide a lot of support and relief for uh, women who are uh, dealing with issues during learning. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. On behalf of my co-host, Jeremy Stoker, we'd like to thank you for tuning in. And as a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Check for updates of the 2021 Mountainland Running Summit at summit.mlrehab.com. As always, you can find more information on all of the running medicine resources offered by Mountainland Physical Therapy at mlrehab.com slash run. We'll see you next time. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Exercises that are safe and appropriate for some people may not be for you. No treatment program should be undertaken without first consulting your physical therapist or physician. The contents of this podcast is protected under United States copyright laws and may not be reproduced, redistributed, transmitted, displayed, published, or broadcast without prior written permission of Mountainland Physical Therapy.